And when I thought about that after that lunch that you and I had, I realized that the near misses in my life, the ones that could have gone bad and didn't, were what really moved me up exponentially、um, in my personal development, in who I was, who who I was supposed to be. <laughs> Searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons.、Yeah. Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift. Yours truly, David D. Simons. I am honored and delighted to have a special guest with us on the show today. I consider a friend, Bob Scabilla, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Bob. Bob has over 35 plus years of experience in technology and business. Bob is an expert programmer, a software engineer, a digital marketer, and an all-around problem solver. You give a problem to Bob, that problem is getting solved. He has been passionate about technology since the early '80s, when it was difficult to find a single class in computer science. In 1982, he taught himself how to program and spent the next 15 years learning about networks, software architecture, applications development, and business management. As Aiden's monitor monitors international director of marketing and product development, Bob discovered his unique talent for matching a client's business objectives with process and product solutions. In 1999, he used that talent to found a software development company, which he supported and propelled as its lead developer. His projects include real-time probability calculator for commodities trading, real-time flight data recording system. Wow. A time tracking and management、uh, program used by a Fortune 500 company, website usage reporting software, a system for modeling and forecasting. And in 2010, when search engine optimization was emerging on the scene, Bob realized that it was an ideal application for his curiosity, drive, and combination of skills. <clears throat> in response, he founded Forefront, which has grown to other services for pay-per-click management, data and web analytics, and conversion rate optimization. In addition to SEO, Bob is a powerhouse. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Bob. Truly an honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you, David. I'm I'm humbled and、uh, impressed by your introduction. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you, sir. So, Bob, take us through a little bit of the journey, right? So, on this show, we we talk about discovering one's gifts and、uh, talents, and you you know you might a person might have a talent, but doesn't mean that they discover it right away. Can you just take us through a little bit about your journey, overall childhood, and just going into into life about your journey in, into just the, becoming the person you are today? Sure, sure. Thank you for asking.、Um, I had an excellent childhood. I had excellent family.、Um, um, I had a strong dad. I had a very nurturing mother. I had four siblings, which we to this day we we just really love each other.、Uh, I I really did have a, a very solid upbringing, and they they were good providers. So. Uh, the privilege I had growing up、uh, that I had parents that cared about、um, who we were with,、uh, when we were back, what we were doing—it、uh, it mattered to them.、Uh, and that, that, as I realized as I grew up and I became a dad, that was a very foundational、um, part of my upbringing, David. And then、um, I will tell you that、uh, I. My whole life, I've, I've observed myself, and I've observed other people too. And having a gift is one thing. We all have gifts that we have to find. And our, 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 my belief is that our requirement is to act on those gifts and pursue them, and and believe in yourself. And I see people that、um, have gifts that that doubt them, and I see people that have gifts and. And they they use them as as part of their life and and who they become and and I, so I, I looked at that and I, I discovered that early on,、um, and I I will tell you、um, who I became and how I started to model myself. Of course, had a lot to do with、um, my upbringing and 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 the influences I had. But as I thought about it, and and when you、uh, When I looked at the, the the title of this podcast,、um, how you discovered yourself, I thought about it, and 
it was clear to me that fear was a part of my discovery process. And when you and I had that really nice lunch the other day, we talked about a near miss. And um, for you, David. Mm -hmm. And um, that motivated you. That propelled you. That was that was a catalyst for you. And when I thought about that after that lunch that you and I had, I realized that the near misses in my life, the ones that could have gone bad and didn't, were what really moved me up exponentially um, in my personal development, in who I was, who, who I was supposed to be, mm. and who I was capable of being. And uh, I started to think about, I, I go way back to my childhood, and I remember significant near misses that could have gone real bad and didn't. And every time that happened, I came out of it with gratitude and with a commitment to become a better person for that experience. Wow. So. The, yeah, the answer the answer to that is uh, is the near miss. That's how I discovered them. And I, I um, if you wanted to hear about one, oh, I, I was just about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, since I had many of them, and uh, one of one of the um, one of the things that defines me is that I'm a dad, and I I believe myself to be a very good dad. I lead with love. I lead with affection. I lead with. Um, uh, being an excellent role model for, for who my daughters um, can follow. And um, although I did have a, a very structured upbringing, a, a very loving upbringing, uh, and that did play a role in my commitment uh, to be a dad. Uh, let me tell you about the first 24 hours of my fatherhood, David. Is that okay? Yeah, please. So, because uh, when I thought about it, I just thought about it right now. So I'm not sure if I could say the story clearly, but let, let me give it a try because this, the, the first 24 hours of me being a dad defined my fatherhood experience. And um, I was 21, unemployed, and having a baby with a lady who I had broken up with. And it hit the family hard. And um, I, I got a lot of input from everybody uh warning me of, of how bad life was going to be and how hard i made it for myself and never once did i feel like this was a mistake now it sounds really bad because here i am unemployed i'd broken up with this lady and we're going to have a, a baby and it just felt like this was supposed to happen i'm not sure if that makes any sense but it just felt okay it just felt that's where i belong david and um so um Sure enough, uh, yeah, I tried a few different things, and 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 but the the time comes where uh, it's the delivery time, and I'm in the hospital, and the social worker's talking to me about about being a statistic, and I'm telling her I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good dad, right? Well, how are we going to provide for this baby because you don't even have a job? I have all the confidence in the world that I'm going to provide for this baby, and this lady was trying to do her job, but she was really. Um, and that, maybe she was doing the best thing for me, but I, 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 I knew I had this covered. I just didn't know how, and I wasn't going anywhere. This was going to be my baby, right? right. And um, so we go to the hospital. The, the labor pains had started, and and we're in we're checked into a room now, and she wasn't quite ready, but they're not sending her home. And so here I am in this in this hospital room, and I go out in the hallway, and there's another guy next to me in the room next to me. He had came out also. Mm -hmm. He also uh, was unemployed, having a baby out of wedlock, didn't get along so well with the, the mother-to-be. And he and I had this amazing connection uh, at this period. We just talked and we shared what we were, we were so honest with each other. We were going through a life change together here. And, and, and he's in the room right next to me. And, and you know, we went back in, you know, every, you know, and then we would coach our, 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 uh, the moms to be, and, you know, we would periodically come out and the other one would come out too. And we would coach each other through this. And, and, um, this went on for hours and hours. Both women were in labor for 12 hours, 14 hours. Uh, we're, we're putting our change together to try to get food out of the venue machine. Cause we had no money. And, um, and showed up, you know, we, here we got, we got like Twinkies and a bag of pretzels and we would be eating those to, during the day. And, and um, at one point, this uh, this guy asked me, "What are you going to name your your baby?" And I said, "I don't I don't want to 
think about it till I actually meet this person. And he says, well, if it's a boy, I'm naming him Michael. If it's a girl, I'm naming him, naming her Jessica. And I said, that's really interesting. They're, they're fine names, you know, mm-hmm. in and out many times we're coaching each other. And sure enough, it's late at night now. Uh, and I come out of the room with my scrubs because it's time to time to give birth. Yeah. And um, he comes out too, all dressed in his scrubs at the same time. And here we are, we're going down the hallway together and he, he looks at me and he says, next time we see each other, we're going to be dads, right? And, and all this excitement, right? And he goes into his birthing room with his mom-to-be. I go into my birthing room with my mom-to-be. And um, in this room, I mean, life changed for me at a molecular level. David. It was, I witnessed the greatest experience life has to offer. I witnessed birth, right? And I changed so deeply because my daughter came out and I, I caught her coming out and in my arms, she came together. She formed herself. Uh, the cord was cut and, and I'm, I watched her take her first breath and all these amazing things that happened during childbirth. I was right there. And I knew at that point that I was a dad, not only that, that I was a dad, I, at that point, never remembered not being a dad. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but at that point, I never remember not being a dad. I was, this was what I was here for, right? Like your new identity. It, it was my identity. I didn't know if it was new. It just, all of a sudden, I was always a dad. It was like, it, it was like I, this experience was so profound to me. And um, after, after this, of course, I was overwhelmed. And I come out of the birthing room. And this guy is standing there. And um, against the wall, I remember, I can still see it just like it was this morning. And I went and stood next to him and I, we were just standing there in silence Hmm. and it could have been five minutes. It could have been two hours. I don't know. We were just standing there and I just was, I was just being, I I didn't even know I wasn't processing. I was just there and I had this overwhelming experience and I was a new person and I'm just standing there next to this guy and we're just standing in silence. And while we were standing there, his doctor comes out of the birthing room and he says, I did everything I could. The cord was wrapped around her neck too many times. She didn't make it. So I had no choice, (laughs) full discharge. I mean, I just, we just cried, held each other and cried. And um, so, the next morning when I held my baby, I was so grateful. I was just, oh my God. And, and so there we were, uh, now we're checking out. And I, I was scared by this whole experience. And um, we, we went and we checked out. And uh, as I walked into the area where you checked out, there is him and, and uh, his girlfriend. And here I am with, you know, a new mother, a new baby, and me as a new dad. And we just stopped and we looked at each other. We didn't say anything. And I swear it was probably the most rich communication I've ever had with another human being, that silent exchange. <clears throat> and then um, I went over to him and I, I picked up my daughter and I said, I want you to meet Jessica. And that's how my daughter got her name. Yeah. Oh my God. So that was my first 24 hours of fatherhood. And that instilled so much gratitude in me for being a dad with a healthy child, with uh, with everything being right with, pers- with this little person. And no matter what I went through in her teen years, how much trouble I had, uh, she was an at-risk child. I never, ever... Um, did anything that I regretted. I always handled everything with love first. And I think that is exactly attributable to that first 24 hours of me being a dad, Dave. What a remarkable, I mean, it's sad, um, but but like you said, it's, it, it's life transforming. Wow. The, you know, we talked about it, like I'm, I'm definitely more convinced you need to write a book. Um, <laughs> this is just, <laughs> I mean, that kind of experience, I mean, that's life altering. Um, wow. I like, I'm moved. 
I'm moved. I'm like speechless right now. Um, and that that's so much that's so so much love for you to name your daughter after the name that he was considering for his at that moment. Yeah. Um, that's how tight we were with each other at that point. I was so close to this guy, and we were so we were just there for each other, and it was nothing but honesty. There was no no facade, no impression. We we couldn't have been more honest at that point in our lives because it was a raw experience. Yeah, and um, it, that connection I'll never forget. Wow. So this this moment, along with others, like you said, um, must have been. It's just like a. It's a current through everything in your life. Am I right? Like this, like this, this experience, it it factors into your probably your motivation. It probably factors into your drive, your your gratefulness for life, your your zeal for life. Like, am I right in that? Like, you are, you are. As a matter of fact, um, it, it, it oftentimes I think that um, um, the near miss. I mean, the finger of fate was pointing just a few feet to my side, and I think uh, that that gives me respect that things don't have to go right, and uh, it also gives me it. it my life, um, as I get older too, and it's more and more this way, I lead it with gratitude. I lead with the gratitude that I have two healthy, happy daughters who are happily married to good, good people, and my. My two grand boys are happy and fun and curious, and and this all comes from just just uh, great privilege that was given to me, and that's really what I'm oriented in my life. Like, uh, yeah, the whole the whole my whole life is is really it could have been much different than it, than it is, and it's it's a good life, and I want to make sure that I show gratitude, and these near misses um, really make sure remind me that I. You know, I lead a life based on gratitude first. I think that's the most that I can say. It, it exudes. Anybody that's met you can testify that, that you're definitely a grateful person. I, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Bob. So, so when you think about it, there's many things you're you're you've learned and developed and become great at. Um, but what what would you say is your gift? I, and you may have multiple, of course. But what's your most dominant gift? Well, um, uh, there, there's a uh, personally. Um, I am um, my most dominant gift is that I I can love a hundred percent and I live life in a big way. And the reason that I say that's my most dominant gift. I mean, it's not a trade. Uh, so I'm very good at the trades that I do, and I'm capable of learning that. But the way that I live life is. I would believe my most dominant talent and gift, and um, uh, what that means is that I never let fear make a decision for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, and um, so when I'm doing something uh, and it's going to scare me, that makes it more of a reason for me to do it. Wow! Like, yeah, if I'm, I, oh, I, that might not go well. I'm going to fail. Now, I'm not talking about jumping off a building. I'm talking about like. Uh, uh, redefining myself, um, uh, becoming um, a software engineer when I had no college and everybody said, you have to go to college. And, but I taught myself this and I believed in myself and I wasn't about to let um, not having a degree stop me from getting whatever job that I wanted because I believed in myself. And I, I, I never let fear make a decision for me. And that lets me live my life in a big way. I would have to think that's it. Wow, that is, I mean, that's a lot of introspection to know that kind of answer. That's so deep. So can, can you can you share, like, can going into school, you know, going, I mean, going through the process, people telling you you need to do this, you need to do that, and and, and can, you, can you kind of just go into the example of, of the one you just mentioned about that and how you had to utilize this gift of not allowing fear to make the decision for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... People always have a lot of um, uh, officious uh, input that they're going to give people. They feel that their path is the right path, and, and it might be for them. It probably is. That's not up to me to say. When somebody is giving me input, and this goes way back to my childhood, I remember being in first grade, and um, 
one of the teachers criticized me and I said, this lady doesn't know anything about me. Mm. And so, and I didn't let that criticism turn into judgment for me. Mm. And um, I would will say that uh, I give very few people the privilege to judge me. And uh, I only take criticism from people that I would take advice from. Mm. And that's a small set of people. So having that awareness, and I don't know where it came from, but it worked for me because I grew up in a way that I didn't have to meet other people's expectations. I had to meet mine. Mm. And when somebody threw criticism at me, I would say, uh, is that a true criticism? Do I want to change that uh, critique about me? And, and when will I do it and how? And so no matter who it was, I would listen to it and I would decide if it was valid and if I needed to act on it. It wasn't someone else's decision, that was mine. And it kept me in control of my life. It also, at an early age, allowed me, it sounds funny to say this, allowed me to like myself. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Wow, wow. So, so wow, you, 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 you got that early on, I don't think, a lot of people have that trend of thinking. I mean, can you take us through some of the most challenging times where people struggle with self-esteem and all of those things is usually junior high and high school. Like how did that ability to, as you said, take criticism only from those you would take advice from and having this mindset of not allowing fear to make your decisions for you and, and, and what, being mindful of that. How did that affect you junior high, college, uh, high school and all of that? How, how did you? All right. Um, I like the question and I believe I, I believe I understand um, the question enough to give you an answer to that point. Um, I noticed when I in high school and being judged by the in crowd, I would say things that wasn't were not true to, to build myself up to make them think I was more than I was. And I did it. And every time I did it, I felt worse about myself. I felt like I just lied to myself. And, and through high school, uh, in the early years, like I thought I wanted to be, you know, I want to be the cool guy. I want to be the one that, you know, is, is, is asked to be part of the party and things like that. And, and then I'm thinking, well, if I don't like how I behave, around around other people's judgments where I'm trying to impress them with somebody who I'm not, I found I, I felt I was not being honest. I was doing myself a disservice. I was moving away from who I really was. And I stopped doing it. And although I went through a lot of confusion about it and I wasn't popular in high school, I still was more okay with myself mm-hmm. and being okay with myself. And then I started to believe in myself which is that whole believing in yourself and uh, regardless of what somebody else said doesn't matter what someone else says uh and um i kind of was observant enough even even in grade school david i'm going to lead to a point here um like i realized that i did not decide who my mom and dad was where they lived what family I was born into. I didn't decide if I was going to be a male or a female. I didn't decide if I was going to be heterosexual or gay. Um, I didn't decide what my name was. I decided to be six feet tall with black hair. I didn't decide any of that. It was, that's yours, right? But yeah, at some point I realized I do get to make the decisions from here on out. And I didn't get to decide how the game started, but I'm going to decide how this game ends, right? <laughs> And, and that's where I took full ownership of myself. And it didn't matter what anyone else said. Now, it took me years, like high school years, I didn't know who I was or what, what my direction was, but I knew I was curious. I knew I basically liked who I was. I knew I believed in myself. So go ahead three years now, and hey, you're out of a job. You're gonna become a dad to an unwed uh, person uh, out of wedlock, and the games begin, mm-hmm. right? So I believed in myself. And everywhere else was just coming at me. And um, uh, I did I did play this out the way I saw it best play out. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I was, uh, uh, I, I did some things that worked out very well, which there's no doubt divine intervention had something to do with it. Because I actually uh, did some very creative money management and I got enough money to buy a tractor trailer. Wow. And that, that launched my early 20s experience, but oh, yeah. I did it. 
You gotta tell us about that. <laughs> you, you left the fruit dangling there. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, let, you gotta let us know about that. So, so yeah, you gotta tell us about this. Well, it, but it started with believing in myself, and 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 all this criticism and judgment coming at me. It didn't stop me from deciding this is this is my ship to sail. It's not anybody else. It's not my mom and dad's. It's not my friends. It's not my aunt and uncles. It's mine. And so I took full ownership of, of the situation uh, because of this, I mean, I went through the confusion, the, the rejection, the not being cool in high school and, and, and everything like that. Uh, and, and now here I am uh, and it's time to see what you're built for. And um, when, <laughs> when I was, um, uh, you know, becoming a dad and, and uh, we were pregnant and I did not have a job. Uh, I was a welder and I, I, I didn't like it. I wasn't going to make uh, a, a career out of being a welder. Um, and uh, I just took a step back and I started to rethink the whole thing. And at that very time, this was in 1980, 1980 um, my older brother, uh, again, uh, the four of us are, we're very different and we're, we're very close with each other. Um, he says to me that... I have a stock tip. He says, um, Mitsubishi is going to buy Chrysler uh, for three dollars and seventy-five cents a share, and it's a three dollars and twenty-five cents a share. Hmm. Okay. Well, what can go wrong there? I buy a thousand shares because I put all, all my money into Chrysler stock, and I'm I'm now going to become rich, right? Because you know, uh, Mitsubishi is going to buy him, and I'm going to make fifty cents a share, and that's going to make me, I mean, you know, a couple hundred dollars, and all's mm -hmm. good. And uh, Mitsubishi never bought Chrysler. And Lee Iacocca stepped in and like a year and a half later, it's trading at, I don't know, 40 or $50 a share. Mm. And uh, I now have enough money to, uh, <laughs> to do something. And um, uh, I saw the help one of the ads that, uh, you know, you become an owner operator and- Wait, 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 uh, wait. You just glossed <laughs> over that. That's just too amazing. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. We gotta come back. So, so let me get this straight. Your brother says Mitsubishi is gonna buy Chrysler, and yep. and so invest in Chrysler. And you did just to make yeah, you know a little small margin of, of of improvement on your stock. You make probably one of the best <laughs> bets yep. you could possibly make at that time in stock. Like literally, that's not a that's not an exaggeration. It's literally one of the best stock opportunities you could have hedged your bet on right am i am i right I, and i didn't know anything about stuff yeah right i just went well that sounds like it makes sense right and that's what <laughs> wow wow what yeah. a journey okay and, and back then you had to look at the newspaper at the end of the day to see what it was trading and you go through and you see the symbol and, and it was like a million of them on, the, on yeah. the business page right i don't even know if they still have that in the newspaper anymore and then gosh you know it's, a, it's at 18 it's at 22 it's at 30 and nothing oh my god <laughs> wow so i want i want to connect some dots for the listeners here so so you were you were at this time you're a dad at that that, that at that time uh, I, I became a dad in uh, March of 2021, so it was it, it was the transition. Yes, I was a dad. I was unemployed, and this is when this uh, you know me trying to figure out what I'm going to do to solve the providing for my daughter and and the mother situation. So your mind was open to opportunities, and you're thinking about your daughter. You're thinking about how you're gonna you know, and and so the opportunity comes, and you think, okay, I'm gonna give this a shot. And you not only give it a shot, you said you dumped, and if you can, you don't have to, but you dumped, it sounded like thousands of dollars. Am I right? Like Everything I had. Wow. Everything I had like 3000 and some dollars. And I just said, well, I don't want to sit in the bank. And here's the thing too, in hindsight, I had nothing to lose because I'm at the beginning of my life right now. I'm, I'm 21 years old, mm -hmm. you know, and, and whereas I don't think anybody would recommend and advise somebody to do it. I did it because the potential of, of getting a, a positive outcome was there and, and I had to do something and this seemed to have made sense to me at the time. Most people, back to your point, most people would have been afraid and said, that's everything I have. But your mindset that you said is your gift. I'm not gonna allow fear to make this decision. I'm gonna do something that 
I don't care. I'm going to invest. Probably most investors or most financial people would be like, I don't know if that's a good idea. But you said, you know what? I'm going to go after it. And from that, you made that investment. You made, I imagine you made tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, from that. And how fast of a time is this? You put the investment well, in. I would say it was a, it was about a 14 month period. I made tens of thousands and I was able to put down enough money on a tractor trailer that I could finance the rest. So I had no credit, mm -hmm. but if you put down a majority of the cost, you'll get credit. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that time in the eighties, interest was like 20%. What? Yes. Alone. So I had this cash now and I didn't have to, the business of driving a truck now became more viable because I didn't have to borrow as much money as other people. Wow. So now I had a heads up on, yeah, I think it was 18 or maybe even 22% in that range was the interest rate for a loan. So I wouldn't have been able to, to get this had I not had the, the guts and the fortune to follow my brother's advice. Wow. So, so you get this track. Now, now you take us through the tractor trailer. How, how do you leverage this tractor trailer into your next thing? Like, how do you, how did you do, how did, what did you do with it? Well, that's it. So now I never drove a truck before I bought it. And well, that's not true. It's sort of true. <laughs> uh, when I did buy the truck, I remember having to ask a few truck drivers to, like, I can't back this truck in. I don't trust myself. Can you back it in for me? And, and they would. And then, you know, after about six months, I mean, I was, I was a very good truck driver. Um, but, um, uh, what I noticed when I was driving a truck, again, I'm, I'm, I'm watching how I learn. I'm watching how I behave. I'm watching other people and I'm listening to other people. One of my, I, I, I definitely listen to people. And sometimes when you really listen, you hear what's not being said. And I, I so I, I love to really be with people and listen to them. And you and I had just this nice conversation at lunch where a lot was exchanged that wasn't said. And I, I love that kind of communication with people. So. When I was out there uh, learning about how to make a living as, a, as an over-the-road tractor-trailer driver, 48 states, 80,000 pounds, 18 tires down, 13 forward gears. I mean, this, this was a truck, right? Mm -hmm. um, I started to like observe how, how I got loads um, and how like the, the, the trick to calculating whether or not a load was going to be profitable or not. I started to figure this out. And this is in my first few months of driving a tractor-trailer. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? This is now 1982, beginning of 1982. I'm going to buy a computer mm. and I'm going to, I'm going to start programming a computer because how tough can it be? And, uh, and I then I, I, yeah, well, this was an Apple II plus. This was before the IBM oh, wow. came out. Yeah. This was, this was a 48 K of Ram, all cap letters. Didn't have, didn't have lowercase, um, the five and a quarter floppy disk. And I started to, to write programs that started to figure out how to take the best loads uh, to, to plan out my week. And uh, so I started to write this and I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I figured out that it's 814 miles to Chicago from here. It's 814 miles to Nashville from here. And what are the different attributes of each destination? Well, Chicago is more expensive to get to. Fuels are more expensive. Tolls are expensive. Um, but you get out of Chicago faster than you get out of Nashville. So I started to, to write these programs uh, that would help me get through the week and make the most out of my um, uh, out of my, my truck. So I started to do the predictions and, and I, I would calculate weather into it, uh, fuel cost, toll cost, uh, the average delay time. So I knew if I was going to L.A. at a certain time of, of, of the week that there was going to be a backlog. So I would call and and request dispatch when I was in Oklahoma City and that would take me another day and a half two days to get to LA and there would be a load waiting for me there so I started to use the computer for this and I didn't realize that here I am now one year into driving a truck I knew how much short-term maintenance was going to cost I knew exactly what the fuel tax was going to cost I knew what long-term maintenance was going to cost tires camshafts pistons injectors and I started to just uh, create a budget to run my truck and I knew how much to pay myself. And I didn't realize that other truckers didn't have that ability. Uh, I thought that that's how you ran the truck. So next thing you know, I'm, I, I'm writing 
software for trucking companies because they didn't have software back then. And so I was, I started a little gig where I was writing software for other truck companies. I knew, I knew just what that trucking company needed. And, and I would sit down there and write. I had a great time for, for a couple of years there, just writing software long before, you know, spreadsheets were a thing and databases were available. Yeah, that's what got me into that's what got me into computers. Oh my goodness. What an amazing I'm loving the the the, the, the points, the transition points. This is amazing. <laughs> great stuff. I'm surprised you're interested in all this stuff. Uh, oh, oh, it's fascinating. I, I already <laughs> know the rating reviews we're gonna get for this episode because this is this is this is great stuff. Because we're seeing your journey like and you kind of like the, the 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 just shift from one thing to the other and how it's all interconnected. So after you after you now created this software for 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 tru the trucking company, it seems like you're a person that likes to be challenged. Like you like to to take on the challenge, something that seems probably difficult or hard to do and solve it. And so, what what transitioned you to the next thing, the next challenge? Yeah, that was such a good observation. I love to solve. Uh, scenarios. I love to think them through, and I always believe my mind worked differently than than I don't know other minds. Mm -hmm. And um, I was able to see things with uh, what I called innocent eyes. That means that no filters. It's imagine looking at, at at a tree for the first time if you're a newborn baby. You see this tree and imagine that, right? And and all of a sudden everything is brand new. When you think like that. Uh, you become this this creative thinker because you, you take all the filters of what's supposed to be away and you look at it for what it is. And so I noticed that I, I did have that working for me. And um, I uh, I was approached. I was I was driving a truck and writing code for this trucking company, and I was approached by a friend of mine who said they're building this system uh, that um, um, it it takes uh, data from aircraft, telemeters it down to a ground station, and then processes it. And it's, it's, it's like an aircraft in flight has a ground crew that manages all the, 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 all the metrics, the, the oil pressure, the wind shear, the vibration, you know, thousands of things. So the pilots don't have to, they can't do it all, but these machines on the ground could. And now this is back in the late 80s. And he was telling me about it. He says, and we're having a problem with this system. And he described it to me. And, well, I knew the chip and I knew the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, oh, I know just what that, what the problem is. I'll, I'll be happy to come in and fix it for you. So next thing you know, I'm now working for a high tech uh, company uh, who builds these amazing systems that are used around the world. And I'm a software engineer. Mm -hmm. So I went from a truck driver to being a software engineer. Wow. And I was, um, I just kept studying and I loved it. And I was so impassioned by doing this that nothing was going to stop me. I was just going to be, uh, you know, really good at it. And I loved it. I loved the, the fact that uh, people depended on me to do a good job and to solve problems. And, and um, so that's, that's really, so that, you know, that's really launched my career into the software engineering. And, and for many years, I worked for other companies. Um, and then, you know, I, I moved on from there into my own companies and, and started to learn how to be a businessman. I love that. So, so again, thinking about this, right, because software development is not easy. It, you know, there's a lot you had to learn, a lot of different coding languages, a lot of different things. And you had to have a drive because there are people that, you know, because I came from a background of uh, uh or family where they said, okay, you should do these careers, lawyer, doctor, engineer, accountant, because they make a lot of money. And a lot of people are, a lot of kids today, or a lot of parents are telling some of their kids, go into engineering, software development, go into the, to do this for the money thing. But it seems like you had a drive of a, just a, a insatiable curiosity that drove you. And, and yes, money was a byproduct you produced from it. So could you talk to us about, because I, I just picture a young person listening to this right now, I think I want to. I want to go into software development. I want to go. I want to code. I want to build programs. I want to build software. But can you talk to us about the real development behind the scenes, like the level of the the hard work that you had to really put in to become great at what you do? It's not something that you just, you know, you can just pick up and just automatically you're awesome. You had to. 
I'm sure you had to go through a lot to, to really develop your skills. Oh, oh, a lot is an understatement. However, it's doable. So if anybody that is listening is interested in pursuing any type of, of, of path that requires them to uh, acquire knowledge, acquire skills, dedicate themselves. What I noticed when I was first starting this was how small I had to start. Um, and I saw big problems being solved and I would look at these engineers from MIT and Berkeley and they were solving problems that were well beyond me. And I would look at them with admiration, but I was a light year away from them. And at the first instinct is to say, I'll never get there. And maybe I did say that, but the next one was, I am going to get there. Mm -hmm. I am going to get there. And although it was uncomfortable starting small and getting good one step at a time, and then I would, I would lay out a, um, a roadmap for myself. I want to learn uh, A, B, C, and D by the end of the year, because when you're doing this and you're, you're teaching yourself uh, something that you love to do, something that you're committed to making a living at, and, and money was always a byproduct, never a primary target for me. And it still is, to this day, money is not a primary target. I have to love what I'm doing. I have to be impassioned by it. So the small steps, all of a sudden you would look back at over three months and you're still feeling like you're taking small steps, but you look back and you say, gosh, three months ago, that used to be really hard to do. And now it's not, it's really easy. Wow. And, um, and then three months later, I'm looking like, gosh, what I was struggling, I couldn't get, I remember not being able to get past the certain, um, uh, recursive functions. And then I'm, you know, six months later, I was like, well, I'll just throw in a recursive function here. Um, it'll regress. And then I started to just, and then the years went by. And as every year went by, I made sure I had my, what am I going to learn this year? And so I put, I, I dedicate a portion of every day of, of my time to staying as a very good developer. I, I would feel, uh, I, I, I would feel bad if I didn't spend some time every day in the coding world with my developer environment up and looking still at to, code. Still to this day. Oh, I love it. I, I, when, I, when, I, when I load my development environment, which is a piece of software that lets you write code and compile it and upload it to machines and all, I get excited to this day. I, I can imagine what a conductor is like when he, when he taps his, his little stick there, whatever that's called, up you know, on his podium, and everybody then is ready to go. So when I sit in front of my machine now, and I'm now controlling hundreds of servers, and my, 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 my systems run you know, in, in a big way, uh, I feel like that uh, conductor in front of the orchestra, ready to go. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these machines do something really cool. And I literally, to this day, after almost 40 years, uh, I still get that excitement inside of me. Amazing. Wow. I love it. Wow. There's so much to unpack here. So from what, I, what you're sharing, I, I, I'm just unpacking what you're sharing for the listeners. You said that the first thing that drove you was I, you had a desire, a passion, a love for it. And that, that you just, you know, the money was not the main focus, but it, it, it is something that came out of it because you were good at getting better at it. The other thing that I, I just want to really point out, and I think if you can add some more color to this for us, is you said there's a roadmap you developed for yourself. I don't hear anybody doing anything like that. that is so amazing. Like you developed a roadmap for your growth. Like, can you speak to that? Personally and, um, uh, and professionally. So, uh, like even now my roadmap is for, 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 for personally, like there are things I want to improve about myself. And, um, what I do is I keep a little notebook in the drawer next to my bed. And, um, every night when I sit down and, and lay down in my bed, I give thanks for having a warm, safe place to sleep. And I take an inventory of the day. And I write down what I liked about the day, how, what, you know, my behavior, what I did that was nice, and also what I didn't like and what I could be better at. And maybe if something, I, I behaved in a way that embarrassed me and it's beneath me, I make these notes and that becomes part of how I want a person to become better. Well, I do a similar thing also with, with my profession. I'd say I'm running a company right now and running the company means I have other requirements on me besides just writing software and building systems, but Part of, part of my roadmap for making myself a better business person and, and uh, a more successful um, at, at my career path 
I wanted to become a better businessman. That was on my path. That's where you and I met, David. And I was committed that now's the time for me to learn about business, not just technology. So you and I met because we were in class together for the past four months. Right. And um, now that was only part of it. Now, I also, uh, what drives me now is I'm wise enough to see where the industry that I'm in, where software and the application of software to data science, I can see where it's going. So now I'm looking two and three years down the road saying, you know, this is how I see this going. Now, my roadmap is is uh, more of what's going to become of the industry and how I stay ahead of it. And I'm capable of doing that because I rode this technology wave since the early 80s. And I have all this insight into this industry now. And now's the time, although I'm getting close to retirement age, I, I, I don't think of myself as even wanting to retire right now because now I get it. And, and now I can say, I want to have a you know, big data was the thing back in the four, uh, 2014, 15. Uh, now we're into machine learning. We're into uh, the application of neural networks. We're into, um, uh, you know, even deep learning now is becoming. So the adoption of, of these technologies and in industries where I'm, I am, I know this now. And now I can marry business requirements with the technology. And I could tell the business people now here's how you're going to want to use this here's how it's going to benefit your company and it could be it could be a two billion dollar company or it could be you know an independent consultant i now uh, have the, the business wisdom behind me that i can now talk to them mano a mano and i can tell them how to improve their business based on using the technologies that i'm going to sell to them wow wow it's just like everything like you've done in like these these you you seem like you layer the, the the more you you go through life and different experience there's okay i got this layer but i'm gonna add this layer i'm gonna add this layer i'm gonna add this layer and and it just keeps layering uh, i i hope i hope everybody's seeing a visual of, of 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 bob's life and just how much we can learn from it so i i want to speak about forefront i want to speak about um your 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 business and and, and the things that you're doing um uh, today but I also wanted to to also take one step back and and look at it from the perspective. Okay, so you got really good. You developed yourself to be able to. We saw that you developed yourself to to the point where you were able to sell this software for for uh, trucker trucking companies, and then you did it for. I know you worked. You did some work with the government. You've done work with um, many different um, top tier companies and and clients. But can you talk to me about some of the like when it real when you realized your the value you're bringing in the, and you developed your skill to such a level where you got and I know money's not the biggest thing but you got a payday and you were like wow somebody paid this for this that I, I, I I'm enjoying this this is fun can you talk to us about that experience because I know that happened for you oh it did it did um uh, I'm gonna give you an exact example and um, again. I never, ever worried about money only because I didn't want that to be a motivator, as we said before. So that allowed me to make decisions based off of my passion and what I believe you're given passions as roadmaps. They're there inside of you. They're not there to ignore. They're, they're there because that's what you love to do. That's what you're wired to do. So um, I also say I gave myself the opportunity uh to um i gave myself space to realize opportunities what i'm trying to say so uh sometimes opportunities aren't going to come to you when you allow it to come when you have the space when you sit down and say i want change to happen what has to happen and then open yourself up to it and um the one company i worked for for the um where we did a lot of government contracting i left that company and it was i was doing very very well at it i needed to change and i i i was very afraid when i did it um, and, um, but I knew I was, uh, I would have regretted, uh, staying there and not going to the next phase. Um, if I, you know, so all that happened, I quit the job and I'm there now what? And I knew I didn't have a, a lot of money to live off of for years without getting another paycheck, but I wanted it to be different. And uh, somebody called me up and said, uh, the state of Pennsylvania is putting out a procurement for a, um, a telemedicine network that's never been built before. Mm -hmm. And I thought, huh, right? So I 
called up the state of Pennsylvania. I got the request for proposal sent to me. I looked at this and said, I know how to build that system. Hmm. So in my living room, right, I got, I had, I had computers there and I, I went to town and I'm, I'm building this telemedicine system. This is now, uh, this is 1989. No, no, no. It'd be 1992. Anyhow, it's, 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 it's around that time frame. And I, I built this system and, uh, I actually took it to the state of Pennsylvania and I said, this is the system that you need. Here's how it works. And, and internet was like not even a thing back then. And you dialed into CompuServe and, and I showed them how to compress video over the digital channel, how to multiplex it from two channels into one. And, and there, this is how you want to run this telemedicine network. And the thing was like, they were going to put a trial out in uh, the rural hospitals like Cole Memorial out through Pennsylvania. And they were going to uh, video conference to doctors in Hershey Medical and University of Penn uh, and another hospital as well. And so here I am, I showed uh, the state what they needed. They said, yeah, this is what we need, but you know, you're gonna need like a $2 million bond before we can buy this system from Bob. And I said, oh, well, how much does that cost? Well, it costs about $200,000. I said, well, I don't have $200,000, right? So I said, well, this is the system we want. I want you to go talk to a few companies here. They're gonna wanna partner with you. and then. So I actually did go talk to a, a video compression company, a friend of mine, Gary, I'm still friends with him now. And I said, Gary, we're going to get this contract if we build this system here. He said, okay. It was on, uh, it was on their paper and I built the first uh, digital telemedicine network that was ever there and they paid me for it. And there I was, <laughs> there I was in my living room building this system and I was like, and they paid me a lot, and, uh, more than I was comfortable getting paid, to tell you the can, truth. <laughs> again, for, for purposes of inspiration, if you can, can you give a ballpark for them, for, for young people listening to this of how you can get paid from your passion? And and even though you weren't looking, you were rewarded. Can you, can you just share like even ballpark for that? Like how much I got paid? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got paid close to $300,000 for that. Wow. That was back in, in the- 1992. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what that would be in today's money, but there was like, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. And I'm thinking, oh, this. and then I started to think, well, you know, I could do other things with it, things like that. But, you know, I got, I, I, I became an employee again and, and, um, I followed, you know, I followed other paths that, 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 you know, that took me to where I am today. But, um, yeah, it, it was purely by believing in myself. And also like everybody says, you know, you're not going to be able to sell that to the state of Pennsylvania because you know, you're just, you're not, you don't even have a business ID number, mm. but I went to the state. I talked to them. They talked to me and, and just, I just walked in. I mean, you're going to listen to me because I got something you need. And mm. I wasn't about to let a closed door stop me. I was like, this is the right thing and you need to have it. And I'm the one who's going to do it for you. And they said, yeah, you are, but you know, you got to have this bond. And then and, and they helped me do it. And even I remember working with these engineers on the, at the state, uh, for implementing this. I actually had to work with Sprint technicians to run. Um, Sprint was a, a telecommunication company back a long time ago, but they ran, they were able to run digital lines. And, and I worked with them to, to map out the lines that they were going to run. So here I am, you know, this, this little, you know, I was 30 years old at the time, but here I am, you know, working with uh, Sprint engineers to lay out the digital backbone for this telemedicine network. Wow. That's, yeah. that's groundbreaking because you know, we're here in 2021, and, and and I know this has been a conversation for the last couple. Telemedicine is huge. Yeah, like, yeah. It, to think about, like, that's colossal, Bob. Like, you were the, at the foundation of this whole movement. And um, as soon as I did that, I mean, uh, there were other companies that jumped on that and did a much better job than me. And I'm saying, really, the thing is not to just look at the patient. And I, I, I was envisioning putting your hands in these... Um, like like uh, scissor holes and then being able to control a, 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 an arm over the wire there so you could actually you could remove a splinter from somebody from over the wire you could work on them so that's what i said this is where it has not just visual you have to be able to touch the patient right yeah. and now they're doing that now and to a great extent that's that's exactly what my uncle my uncle is a um a ob um uh, he's an ob uh, a cancer doctor for ovarian cancer like helping women with dealing with cancer and he used he talks about that he how he uses the machine and, and literally 
wow, everything you're saying, I'm seeing like that the the, the effect of it, right? Like, wow, wow, Bob, this this is mind blowing. Um, I I I I want to, and I respect the time, but I, I also want to ask you if you still got a, a few more moments here um, about forefront. If you could tell us about, because so today you're 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 not only you're, you've solved problems in the past and you're still solving problems today and you are like you shared earlier you guys are on the cusp of, of doing some, some revolutionary things in addition to things you've already done with various um systems of like the time flight data recording systems the the the, the tracking time management systems sure um all the stuff can you talk to us a little about forefront and the work you do there and how people can learn more about you there absolutely uh well uh forefront.us that's f-o-u-r-f-r-o-n-t.us and um, our, our, our secret sauce, what makes us special uh, as a company is that uh, we don't follow the, the standard procedures that the industry, uh, the industry follows. Uh, what we do is we have a great ability to create our own data sets. And this ability to create data sets lets us, if we get a client, uh, we can um, build a data set that's very informative to their market. And it's a unique data set. So we write, we write the bots, uh, which go out and collect the data. We write the storage system, which actually uh, that the bots drop this uh, data into the store into, and then we write the indexing system, lets us turn this in, uh, this data into information and insight for our clients. This is a very uh, important differentiator because our clients now are universities and hospitals and and industry, and and we could tell them, hey, this is. This is an opportunity for you. Here's here's what we're looking at. Here's what the data is saying. Here's what your audience wants, and and you're off center from your audience. So we align, uh, really, what we're good at is we align a brand with their market, and that alignment process is something that we can do very well with the data sets we're able to create. Wow, that is amazing. Can you give us just one example of? like a client or you don't have to share, disclose who the client is, but you, you just share like how you connected that brand to the market. Okay. Um, we have a hospital system that um, when COVID hit last March, we had two hospital systems, but uh, one particularly got hit very hard because all of their surgeries were stopped that were even semi-elective. Uh, and these hospitals were getting hurt. And the the hospital that I'm talking about, uh, let me let me take one step back. I jump. I want to I want to add a thought into that. Mm -hmm. um, all of our clients went silent last March. Mm -hmm. They all went silent, and we were sitting there, and we had this tremendous amount of uncertainty to deal with. And my employees were scared, and I had um, I had quiet clients. I didn't know when they were going to come back to life. We didn't know anything if you remember back to last March. Yeah. So I brought the team together and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run these reports for all of our clients and we're going to tell them where their audience is and where their audience is searching now, now that the pandemic hit and we went into isolation. So the hospital system that we did this for, we said, okay, here's where you need to start targeting uh, your content uh, to bring your audience in. Hmm. This hospital became a dominant provider of information for COVID because of our strategy. And they their brand grew substantially because we started answering questions that people were asking and we answered them fast. Like we had content up there and we had we had the doctors, the nurses and, and the marketing people there writing content, filling out. And next thing you know, they're getting their their traffic to their website went so high and it was it was pushing their brand all out over the country. And it made, it made a huge difference for them. And they, they were so happy that come this January, when we re-upped our contract for the year, they paid us the whole contract right up. Wow. One, one, yeah, the, we're going to buy all 2021 right now. You know, we're not going to invoice us every month. Here it is. Wow. Yeah, that was a thank you that they gave us. Yeah amazing the value that you you provide like to think that your gift and so let's i'm just gonna put it all together to to think about your gift of, of like growing up in this household with loving parents that made you want to be a good father and then when you when it came time to become a father 
uh, and having that transformative moment of gratitude that created the gratitude that said, I'm going to figure out a way to take care of, of, of my daughter. And then eventually you had another daughter to take care of the, the daughters and being exposing, exposing yourself to an opportunity that your brother shared with you to make an investment into something because you had this mindset that you established from childhood not to be the type of person to make decisions based on fear, which pushed you into opportunity to recognize the, the, the trucking industry, uh, to get a trail tractor and then understand what they were doing wrong software wise, leveling up the software technology. You took that and in, in, in understanding, parlayed that into the marketplace, started to serve people even again, where you had to face people where that were saying, you don't have this skill, you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have that. Still not listening to that because you developed a mindset, a, 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 I would like to say like a callus that like just, just doesn't allow that negative stuff, those negative thoughts to get in, created that, which part, which brought you into uh, serving different um, opportunities up into the government. And then you're creating your own opportunity, getting a big payday from the from, uh, state of Pennsylvania, which then creates an opportunity to come into create your own programming system. And then last year to come into a pandemic and literally lives are at risk and you're changing lives through your software and your bot system, which you learned in a moment where most people, going back to your gift, most people would have said, let's just fold the company. This is this is too much. You got employees. I, I think you got over 30 employees or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's e- It would have been easier to fold than to persist. But your gift kicked in and you said, nope, I am not going to allow the fear. Your employees are scared. Your clients are scared. But your gift kicked in at the right moment and said, nope, we're going to figure this out. We're going to not let our decision be made on fear. We're going to figure this out. We got the system. And because of your gift there, if I'm, and I'm not exaggerating here, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives that are still alive or well or nurtured because the hospital was able to serve the people that they wouldn't be able to reach because they were scared in the pandemic. Maybe, yeah, maybe. That's very flattering. It's flattering as your introduction. So I, yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that is is this is what it's about. This is about what it's about, Bob. I just I just want people to find their gifts so they can be and do what you've done, make an impact. That's what it boils down to. You're gotcha. you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to help others, and it shows. And so, um, Bob, I always have a question that I ask everybody on the show. This is the the but one of the final questions, the challenging question, what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's gift and one's purpose. Well, um, uh, I like the question because it's making me think right now. <laughs> and um, I, I don't always know if we are aware of what our purpose is. And um, our gift is something that we're aware of. In my opinion, um, a gift is... Um, Hey, I can empathize with you. I can, uh, I can help you do that. It's just things that you know that you're doing. A purpose, like I, I did something which I thought was inconsequential uh, with um, a little boy who used to live next to me. And um, I don't want to go into it right now, but yeah, when I saw him 30 years later and he talked to me about that impact of what I did, um, I, I believe that was a purpose and not a gift. Wow, wow, wow. So the purpose is, is like the result of the impact or the, the thing you do with your gift that causes an effect on somebody to feel a certain way. Yeah, things, yeah. I, I don't think you know what your purpose is. I think that um, it, it finds you. Mm-hmm. I think your purpose finds you, whereas your gift is what you use. But your purpose is always like, there's so many times now they get older where people say, you know, uh, I was at a, 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 my wedding, my uh, daughter's wedding, and I saw a lot of, a lot of people that are, 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 you know, fine young adults, not even young, they're adults, uh, you know, but, you know, during their childhood, I cared for them. And they, they, many of them had stories about 
things I did with them that were so meaningful. And I think that's more of, of a purpose Whereas I wasn't even aware of that. I was saying, I'm going to do this because of that. It was just this way of the way you are, your gifts played out. It created a purpose that you may not be aware of. Wow. Wow. That's so beautifully stated, Bob. Wow. I am. I'm just so overwhelmed with joy from hearing this, these stories and this, this wisdom that you've shared with us today. And I know, and I know that I know that people that are going to hear this are their lives are going to be touched and they're never going to be the same again from, from hearing what you shared with us today. Um, Bob, um, so I, I want people to check out, check you, your company out, check, more, learn more about you so they can go to Forefront, F-O-U-R-F-O-F-R-O-N-T, let me say that again, F-O-U-R-F-R-O-N-T dot U-S and uh, connect with you there. This, um, uh, I know you're on LinkedIn. They can just go, they can find you by going to uh, Bob Scavilla. That's S-C-A-V-I-L-L-A. Um, any other way that um, people should connect with you, Bob? No, that actually works very well for me. And um, yeah, we'll pick those up and uh, I'll respond to people as they reach out. Oh, I love it. Thank you so, so much, Bob. For oh, you're welcome. Bye. Thank you. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simon